It's been, to say the least, an unusual Advent. I know for me, as I'm walking through the streets, particularly at night, when I see the houses decorated with the Christmas lights, you know, and they're glimmering, I kind of just find them a little bit miraculous. Um, The fact that they're sparkling and it has a bit of cheer, that someone has the energy and took the time to put up these lights as usual is encouraging to me and also somewhat miraculous. The same is as I'm walking through my neighborhood in Astoria, I heard the music, holiday music, just coming out through these speakers that have been put up near the subway. And as that holiday music and those cheerful notes kind of broke out over the noise of the train, the people, you know, and broke into this whole season of what we're all living through, that also seemed kind of miraculous just because of what we're living in. It's not a normal Christmas. We're not able to gather together, and it's such a loss that we can't celebrate together with family, with our friends, having all those, you know, get-togethers with food and gifts and being together in person that would normally mark our season. And it's such a grief and a loss to experience that. And on top of all of that, you know, buying gifts this season as I'm, you know, going through the shopping list and, you know, marking out everything that needs to be bought and purchased and wrapped, you know, it feels a little strange. Because I'm, something about the gift giving in the midst of carrying a sense of grief and loss, at the same time recognizing, you know, I'm purchasing in the midst of a season where I'm surrounded by people who do not have jobs, who have suffered illness, who have lost loved ones. Um, there's just so much pain in this season, and it seems kind of odd. And so in some ways, we have decided to simplify our Christmas um, But it's just felt so odd in so many ways. There's so many things different about this Christmas. So this Advent has truly been unusual. And if anything, the darkness of our world and this time is all the more evident. And in many ways, that is so appropriate for this season of Advent. Because Advent is about looking at the darkness, waiting in that darkness, naming it for what it is but recognizing that this is not the end of the story. Theologian Fleming Rutledge describes Advent as a time for meditating upon the condition of the lost world and the lost people in it, recognizing that this world we live in that is so broken and dark was also dark 2,000 years ago. And many of us have lost faith in mankind. But she says these words that I love. In Advent, where faith in mankind comes to an end, Christmas begins. In a time of darkness, we find our hope not in people because people are broken and fallen, but in God. In our passage today, Isaiah speaks to a people that are experiencing darkness like ours. They're experiencing their own COVID-19 season. Everything around them is desolate. They're experiencing brokenness and mourning within and seeing an echo of that in the things that they see around them. And you may be in that kind of a place today. So let's look at these words from Isaiah, recognizing that he is speaking to a people experiencing desolation. We're we're looking at Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 7, and it says this, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. 
and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Amen. To put this passage in context, we have to look at what is this period that the Israelites were, that the people of God were living in. And during the whole book of Isaiah, the people of God have experienced quite a lot of tumult. Um, They have experienced a threat from Assyria at the beginning of Isaiah is that time. Then a good portion of their people have been taken away into exile by the Babylonians. And now when we get to this chapter, Isaiah 62, the people who have taken away into exile have returned home. But this is not a celebration the way it might normally be because when they return home, they return home to what is but a shadow of what their nation once was. They have no king, no kingdom, because they're really just a subdivision under a division under Persia. Persia is what is ruling over them. And so though they are home, they're not really home in a way. And all around them is evidence of this brokenness and what they've become because their walls are in ruins, the temple where they once worshipped that was such a sign of God's glory and favor is also a mess. It's broken down, its walls are in ruins. And so it's to these people at this time, as they're looking at everything that looks nothing like Isaiah 62, that he's speaking these words. So how could these words be? These words are not a picture of present reality. But Advent is about seeing the darkness for what it is, but remembering that that's not the end of the story. When we look at these words in Isaiah, we might feel like the people then were living in desolation. We are living in a dark period now. What do these words mean? How can they have value? I see nothing that says that we are experiencing God's delight. All I see is that we are desolate and forsaken. But these are not just any words. These are words spoken by God. And when we look at words, what matters is the track record of the person who speaks them. And to put that in context, you know, if Lucy from the cartoon Charlie Brown, just to add a little humor, were to speak these words, it would be very wise of you not to believe it. You know, some of you, most of you are probably familiar with Lucy, but she's infamous for setting up this football, and this happens again and again, setting up a football for Charlie Brown and saying, Charlie Brown, kick it, I'll hold it for you. And Charlie Brown will believe her and comes running to the football, kicks in and falls on his back. But this time, today, it feels a little different. Lucy says again for the thousandth time, Charlie Brown, look, I'll hold it for you, you go kick it. And so Charlie Brown looks at her and he hesitates. He's wise to hesitate. 
Why does he hesitate? Because he has been the, you know, made fun of by her, fallen for her lies again and again. And he's not going to be made a fool this time. So he looks at her, sizes her up, but something about her seems a little different this time. She seems trustworthy. And so he decides to go and kick the football. So he backs way up and comes running, you know, down this whole grass and then kicks the ball only to land flat on his back because Lucy has snatched the football away at the last second. And she's just, look at that grin on her face. She's just so satisfied that she has, Charlie Brown has fallen for her again. If Lucy, who has done this again and again, spoken these words that she does not live up to, said the words and the promises in Isaiah 62, we do not want to believe them. Why? Because they're spoken by a person whose track record shows she is not trustworthy. But who speaks these words? These words come from our living God who has a track record that proves that he is trustworthy. When Isaiah speaks these words, calling a people living in darkness, living in desolation, seeing broken walls all around them, they would have said, this matches nothing to my current reality. But it would have also called them to think about who is speaking these words. And this God who's speaking these words to these people living in desolation is the same God who showed up in Egypt. The people of God were enslaved, powerless. Egypt was a superpower and they were slaves under the iron fist of Pharaoh. They had nothing that they could do. And in that midst of that time, God speaks to Moses and says, I'm sending you to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so Moses goes, and when he tells the people who are enslaved, hey, God has a great word. He is going to rescue you and bring you out of slavery, and we're going to have our own nation enter the promised land. Those words would have sounded very similar to Isaiah 62. Ridiculous. Do you not see our chains, the work we're made to do, how long we have been slaves? How could God do such a thing? But God miraculously delivers them from Pharaoh, leads them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and into the promised land. The God who speaks the words of Isaiah 62 is the same God who brought Israel out of slavery and into the promised land. He's a God who delivers on his words again and again. It matters who speaks these words, and he has a track record. The hallmark of our Christian faith is that we are people who walk by faith and not by what we can hold on to that is tangible, that we can see or touch. It's really comforting to have those things, right? It would be comforting to have like just some sort of visual representation of God to remind that God is with us. But God's commandment is do not make any idols because anything that represents me is not me and I want you to put your faith in me. And so we are not to put our faith in created things over the creator. But in times of darkness, our tendency is often that, isn't it? To put our faith in the things that we can see and touch to find our satisfaction, our contentment, our hope, our security. In this season of darkness that we are living in, where is your hope placed? Are you tipping towards identifying something created that you could hold on to? Or are you trying to keep your feet 
on simply faith. In this, these verses by Isaiah, Isaiah teaches us a way to live in such a time. The people were living in darkness, but these words had nothing, nothing to do with their present reality. There was a, a vision of something that say, they would have been, wow, can this really be true? And they would have marveled at these words. And it teaches us how to live in such a moment. And that is that we look back and then we look forward. And that's how we live in the present. So looking back, as the people of God would have heard Isaiah say these kind of remarkable, miraculous words, this vision of the future, they would have been reminded of who speaks them. And that the same God who speaks these words is the same God who has delivered on his promises again and again. And so the same for us. We are called in our seasons of darkness to look back at what God has done. The history of the people of God is not just for those people. This is our story. The history of all that God has done in the church, in our personal lives, in the lives of others, new lifers, is all part of our collective story. And so we look back when things are dark and we remember, no, God has been faithful. He's shown up here and here and here again and again and again. This is our God. But we don't just stop there saying, hey, there was a story in the past. But we look at, towards this future. And God gives these words as a vision that, hey, I'm not done with you yet. I am come in this Christmas season as your Savior to die on the cross to bring you to a place. We're not done yet. There is a greater story. There is something really, truly beautiful God has in store for his people. And so we live today marked by three realities. The past, knowing that God is a God who has delivered again and again, and remembering that. And then looking ahead, knowing that this is not the end of the story. There's more to come. There is a future in order to live in the present. And so I'm reminded as we look at, think about living in the future, of a movie that many of you might be familiar with or enjoy called The Dead Poet Society. You know, I hear some of you cheering right now. Um, and so The Dead Poet Society is a great story. I love it. I love it when there's unorthodox teachers. Um, and this unorthodox English teacher, John Keating, um, teaches his students in a, a lot of different ways, but his main message is live an extraordinary life. Don't settle to just follow the rules and be boxed in by following the crowd. Live your life. Live an extraordinary life. And a motto that he repeats again and again is carpe diem. Seize the day. Suck the marrow out of life. You know, and when I look at those kind of movies, I'm always inspired. Like, yes, seize the day. Wake up today and suck the marrow out of this life. Maybe I should get out of bed. Um, and so this is kind of how I feel, but I'm always inspired by these kind of movies. But at the same time, I reflect that carpe diem is sort of an antithesis to our Christian way of living. Carpe diem focuses so much on the present, on the now. And in our world today, it focuses so much on what we feel right now, what we see right now. And there is so much value put to the present as if that is the main and almost only thing. But our Christian journey has three realities, past, future, which anchors us to live in the present. And so we don't just live for what we feel today. Everything that we see today, this darkness, the pain of this season, is not all there is. We remember that we have a God who has been working through brokenness and 
past years and thousands and thousands of years, there's this history that we are living in. And there is a future that we are headed to. And so no matter how dark the season is, that's not the end of the story. And so we are a people of hope because of these three realities, past, future, present. So I want to ask you today, what is your darkness? What is a darkness that is just all-encompassing you right now? Is it to do with your finances as you're looking for work? You know, is it just still grieving the loss and sitting in the loss as so many things are sparkling and there's trees and decorations and stuff all around you? Just mourning that there is a family member that is simply not going to be present today in this Christmas with you. What is your darkness? And in this darkness, I really invite you to take a moment to pause and to hold it and name it for what it is, that it is dark, that it is painful. And to hold it up before God and ask for his help to remember that this present darkness that is framed by past movement of God, God has not abandoned you in this present darkness. The same God is with you in this darkness that was with you in the past and in the future. And he has something in store for you beyond what we can even think or imagine to think right now because things are just too much. Our current darkness is framed by these two. And if in your past, perhaps you might say, yeah, but I've never seen God show up. You know, it's always been hard. Remember that it's not just your personal story. We are the church. It is about our collective story. And so the people of God, what we read in scripture, what we hear of in the church, what we hear of other new lifers, that is all part of the reality of God and his trustworthiness and all part of our story. A visual that I find helpful in remembering how we are to live is the dawn. Occasionally, uh, maybe twice in my life willingly, um, I have gotten up to see the sunrise. Sometimes I was forced to get up because we had early mission trainings or whatever. But there was two times that I can recall in my life that I just had this urge to see the sunrise, to get up and see a day begin. And it's something, it's really something. I remember being at the beach one time, and I went out to Jones Beach just to see the sunrise, and it was just dark. <laughs> so it's something to arrive and just see pitch black darkness. And then the sky starts to glow a bit, but still pretty dark. But it, you know that the sun is probably heading its way up because there's a little bit of a glow in the sky. And then comes that moment when the sun just peeks over that horizon. And you just see this little crack of light that is just breaking out over the horizon. And in that moment, it's the strangest thing, but there's just a sense of joy. There's this, this you just know what's going to come, that the sun is going to rise. And the reason you know it is because you've seen thousands of days, hundreds of days before, right? And you know that the sun has risen every single day. So this little crack of light showing up is a reminder that something that you know of is coming. And, but right now, it's actually still dark. And so it's a reminder of how we are to live as Christians, that whatever glimmer of light we may have, or even the darkness before the light we may be living in, is not all there is. Just as the sun has risen again and again, when God speaks his word to us, he will deliver on his promises and the sun will rise. He will come through on his promises. 
That is our Christian hope. So we can live as a people of hope. This particular passage in Isaiah 62, you know, it's really something to consider and a word of encouragement because it was spoken to a people who had returned from exile. And the reason they had experienced this, seeing their walls destroyed, their temple destroyed, this exile period, was that they had been disobedient. They had turned away from God, neglected that relationship. But the good news is these words are spoken to the people of God post-exile. So it answers the question, when we sin, are God's gracious purposes annulled? Are they no longer going to hold? Is he, not going, is he going to abandon us? And the emphatic answer that we celebrate every Advent is the answer is an emphatic no. God is not done with his people. No matter where we are, no matter how far we've gone, no matter what choices we've made, the hand of God is never too short to reach you. And so wherever you may find yourself today, perhaps you might think, yeah, maybe for everyone else, because you don't know what I've done, or you can possibly guess my story. But God knows your story. He sees every single person, and there is nothing that is too hard or too, where you can be too far from the hand of God. And so the fact that God speaks these incredible words of promise to us today, if we take a quick look at these verses, look at these words. This is a broken nation who has turned away from God, come back. They're just a shadow of what they've been. But it says, her righteousness goes forth as brightness. Her salvation as a burning torch. He's calling out, your righteousness will shine. All the kings will see your glory. You're going to have a new name and be a crown of beauty in the hand of God. That this broken shadow of a nation is going to be a sparkling sign, a crown in the hand of God that God's going to use and raise up this people. And so for us in our broken and desolate place to recognize that God is never done with us. No matter what choices we've made, if we but turn to him, he can restore and bring hope. That is our joy today. So some takeaways from this word. One, reminding us that God speaks in the dark, that no matter how desolate our story is and how dark this time is, and it is dark, we name that reality, but we are reminded that God has dealt with the end of the story. And we know how the story ends. Jesus is over all, and he will return for his people. And second, God's words, these kind of promises that he has given us, even though it seems no picture of reality today, they're trustworthy because of the one who speaks on, who speaks them. He has proven again and again that he is trustworthy because he has delivered on promise after promise. Third, we live today knowing that today, this moment now is not all there is. It is simply one part of the past and the future. And so we anchor ourselves with hope because remember that God has been faithful in the past and he has somewhere he's taking us to in the future. And so today we, can't, we don't need to be swallowed up by it because there's more. And the last thing is that God speaks through his people. It's really fun to look at the first verses of Isaiah. You know, if you look at Isaiah 62, one, it says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Who is this I? Is it God? No, it's the prophet Isaiah. 
He's speaking these words and he says, I am not going to be silent until the day Jerusalem's righteousness goes forth as brightness. Until the day God delivers on his promises, I am not going to be silent. And we are called to be the prophetic church. It's not just Isaiah. As a church, God has called us to be prophetic. And to be prophetic does not mean that we just name what is wrong and what can be fixed. But it means that we speak words of truth and encouragement, encouraging the weary around us. So we are all called to lift up our collective voices, to rally the church and to remind the church today that there is a God who has been faithful in times present again and again through hardship, through pandemics, through social unrest. He has been faithful and he has a future that he has come. Through Jesus Christ, he sent his son to die on the cross, not for just nothing, but he has a place that he wants to take us. It's not just merely a ticket into heaven, but he has a relationship in all his fullness where we will see God face to face and that is coming. And we live today now. So until that day, we are called to lift up our prophetic voice and declare again and again, God has been faithful. God will be faithful. And God is faithful. Though it be dark, and it is dark, he will be faithful. And he is faithful. So our joy is in the one who sees us in the darkness. As Rich said, who works in the darkness. That first Sunday of Advent, Pastor Rich mentioned, he, God works in the darkness. Last week, Pastor Sharon mentioned God comforts us in the darkness. And today we're reminded that God speaks in the darkness, anchoring us both in the past and the future for the present. When God says he loves us and that he loves you, he means it. His words are not cheap. And we know this because of the cross. I want to end with this poem from Madeline Lengel called First Coming. And it reminds us that our joy is anchored in a trustworthy one. He did not wait till the world was ready, till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. He did not wait for the perfect time. He came when the need was deep and great. He dined with sinners in all their grime, turned water into wine. He did not wait till hearts were pure. In joy, he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt. To a world like ours of anguish, shame, he came and his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh to heal its tangles, shield its scorn. In the mystery of the word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice for to share our grief, to touch our pain. He came with love. Rejoice, rejoice. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this third Sunday of Advent. And we thank you, God, that you are trustworthy, that your words are trustworthy that your promises are trustworthy. And we look to you now and you, we ask for your help to live today in this hard present, this dark present. Help us to remember, Lord, what you have done in the past, that you are the faithful God who has shown up in our church again and again. You have shown up in the history of your people again and again. At full cost to you, you have shown up 
in our lives again. Help us to remember that this is not all there is, but that we are headed somewhere. We are a people that are headed for redemption, full redemption of seeing you face to face. And until that glorious day, help us to live with joy in this present, knowing that we are not alone, that we have a trustworthy God who has been with us and will be with us, and it is with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.